Welcome to Notes on a Continent. I am your host, Enyola Harrison. And today I'm really happy to have on the podcast with us, IE alumna, Dr. Beatrice Murage, to discuss a hot and burning topic in light of this global pandemic, access to quality healthcare. Beatrice is Global Senior Manager on Access to Care at Royal Phillips Group Sustainability. She is passionate about promoting access to quality healthcare particularly for underserved communities across the world. She's an experienced leader in systems, strengthening, healthcare management, digital innovation and exploration ventures. And she's successfully built teams and led strategy, policy formulation and project implementation in emerging and established markets. Beatrice is also passionate about entrepreneurship and she serves as an advisor to various industry organizations and coalitions working within the space. So welcome, Beatrice. It's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Anyola, for the invitation. Always a pleasure to interact with the IE community one way or another. Great. Awesome. Perfect. So let's kick off this conversation. I mean, we have a lot, uh, we have a lot to talk about, um, you know, particularly in terms of current affairs. But before we get to um, issues of access to healthcare, let's talk a bit about your journey. So you've got a very interesting one. Um, you trained as a medical doctor, and then you got an MBA and a master in business analytics and big data. So how have these intersections between healthcare, business, and technology shaped your career, your personal journey, and your, your current passions? Um, indeed, indeed, it has been an interesting journey. Um, when we started this journey, I think I was a bit of pains to explain to different people exactly why we're doing this. But I think we could see early just the need to have understanding from a skills point of view and also from just a networking point of view. Get to learn from the people who are in these three, I say, separate industries as viewed before. But as you have seen, and I guess mostly exacerbated by the current pandemic, is that you do not have siloed industries anymore. So in many ways, for you to have impact, whatever industry your primary place of training or interest of your curiosity or practice is, there is need to understand what's happening in the industries that do impact you, either at a very close level or even probably a bit far off. And for me, just this, let's say, cross-section or intersection between healthcare business and tech has shaped my career and story in different ways. One way it allowed me to express my curiosity, curiosity about what was happening in all three sectors or other industries and how the trends in those industries converged at some point. So when we started the journey in terms of my story, uh, they looked at as very separate entities in that sense. But as, as time has gone by and, and as even the need and the global trends have, have proved us is that they're very interconnected and for you to be able to be effective in one, especially in the healthcare field, you do need to have some understanding or at least um, in the right kind of groups and networks to just inform what happens in one. And business and tech are very much at the core of what we're doing in healthcare today. Um, the other reason, or rather the other ways it has shaped my, my, my process is, is just courage. The courage to, to explore, the courage to, to go into places that were not initially very familiar for me even just the entire IE experience with that, with that, with the two courses, with, with the two, let's say, uh, communities. But it was interesting to just meet other people like me um, from the health industry, from the sciences, and, and and just learn together. So that that courage has served me well. 
in terms of even my journey post the schooling years and post, let's say, the training, uh, you do need to be courageous if you're going to do different things, whatever industry that you're in. And I think that has allowed me also express and explore that. The, the, the two other reasons, I think, for me, I see them, um, you know, as, as very interconnected. Con- one is consistency. The other one is collaboration. So we need to consistently collaborate if we're going to have impact in healthcare, especially because uh, that's my primary area of passion. Consistently collaborate um, with, with with business, with tech, and, and even increasingly now with even young people and even just the, the marginalized is at the core of the conversation. And being able to, to walk this journey as I have, and I think also learning, not just healthcare, business, tech, but whatever else comes up that is really relevant to shape the conversation and drive it forward, um, then we need to consistently collaborate, and that has allowed me to do that. That's, that's my career and, and, and story and, and process and journey, however you want to call it, in a nutshell. That's amazing, Beatrice. I love um, what you've said about um, consistency, courage, um, and collaboration. And, you know, we're going to jump and, and jump into and talk a bit more about collaboration um, further along um, in, the, in the conversation, because I absolutely agree with you. I think that collaboration is key if we're going to be able to address some of these global challenges um, industries that were previously siloed will, will need to come together, you know, or were perceived as siloed do need to come together, do have to converge in order for us to be able to address um, some of the biggest um, global challenges of the of the 21st century. So absolutely uh, agree with you on that. So, you know, you've talked about how healthcare is your primary passion and, um, you know, health systems that protect everyone, regardless of race, religion, gender or wealth. Um, according to the WHO, you know, is a human right and a prerequisite um, to achieving sustainable socioeconomic development. But of course, we know um, historically and even more so, um, this has become really, really clear in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, how much um, inequality exists in access to healthcare. So not just on the African continent, but across the world. So in your opinion, what are some of the major drivers of inequality in access to healthcare, um, you know, globally, but particularly as it relates to Africa? I'd like, I'd like to, uh, very nice question, actually, Hilda. I'd like to highlight not just inequality, but also inequity. Um, they seem similar, but they are interrelated, but in responding to the question, I think have both in mind. I'd just like many drivers. I'd like to highlight one is the knowledge capacity gap. The next one is mostly under investment. So two groupings in that sense. So when we're looking at knowledge capacity gaps, so we're looking at some um, three levels, say. So at policy level, um, then also at the human skilling uh, and capacity level, which is very important. And when you're looking at uh, human resources for health talking about scaling in terms of the knowledge, you're talking about scaling in terms of the equipment that we place in the hands as well. And then finally, also looking at the operational level, so actually getting the things done from an implementation point of view. So when we started, when we started uh, with the policy level, I know we've made, we've made strides, so we've made progress in the sense that uh, more policies are being drafted uh, by more governments in Africa that, that, that are aimed at closing this kind of gap in terms of the um, and, and that has been a plus, that has been a pro. However, we still have a bit of, uh, of gap in the sense that they're not always all well coordinated 
uh, with the major trends that are happening at the global level. And here I'd highlight maybe two. At, at the cloud level, at a customization level, especially if you're looking at digital health, which is a really key part in, in, in closing this kind of inequities and also the inequality within healthcare as well. And even at the framework level. So we still have a lot of siloed efforts and, and that doesn't help in terms of moving the discussion forward. So we end up spending quite some time just aligning that and sort of bringing it together instead of designing for integration from the beginning at the policy level. So that is still a challenge. But I think we do making headway, and I hope we can we can uh, make that smooth as we go along. When we look at um, the knowledge challenge, at the human resource for health, especially, Africa already has, um, let's say, an obstacle in the sense that we don't have too many um, qualified healthcare practitioners. There's still that uh, ratio, um, how do I put it, imbalance at the WHO level, like the number of healthcare practitioners that are qualified, um, the ratio of that to the population at large, it's still very low. So we do need to find a way that we equip our human resource for health in terms of the knowledge uh, for what causes these inequities and inequalities at the healthcare level. We do need to equip them in terms of the tools, uh, right from just the basic tools of, of providing healthcare. They need to still close that gap. Even the digital tools, because I think I, I will highlight a bit more about digital health and what they can do to help us address this challenge. But we're yet to close that gap, and that's still a challenge for us. And then finally, when you look at the implementation, especially at what we call the last mile, we still have a lot of challenges from uh, from the healthcare design of it, from the kind of capacity that's uh, available there, and then from the human resource to the infrastructure, we're still struggling quite a bit. And I think there's need to just look at how do we strengthen that entire capacity piece that I've mentioned to just uh, make our last mile delivery for healthcare and even the infrastructure that's uh, associated with it to be delivered a bit better and reduce that inequality. Then the second set of gaps is the investment gap. Um, we have a pandemic still, um, I think, as a challenge for us, that's very much at the forefront and, and new strains coming in and, and just responding to that. A lot of healthcare funding at the national, regional, and even global level has gone to just mitigating the effects of COVID-19 and just addressing and responding to them first line. Now, that is creating a challenge in the sense that what has traditionally been quite a burden for us, the other traditional, uh, what we call communicable diseases, and even a rising burden of disease for non-communicable diseases, is not getting as much attention currently. So we, we run the risk that in response to the pandemic, we might end up missing uh, or rather losing the ground that we have gained in terms of, you know, uh, the benefits for addressing the other kinds of diseases. And that's a challenge that we need to think about how do we um, allocate those investments prudently that we do not, let's say, um, lose the ground we have gained to, to address something that's coming up that's also an urgency, but health system strengthening needs to be still our focus at the end of the day. Back to you, Niola. Thanks, Beatrice. I mean, I, you know, absolutely agree with you. And as I was listening to you um, talk about, you know, the challenges, all I could think of was the massive investment, you know, that is needed in terms of, you know, systems, in terms of capacity, in terms of infrastructure, right? Um, and so this, this takes me to your earlier, um, you, your earlier point about collaboration. What can, because this is obviously something that 
not government it's not only the government that can handle it's not only private sector that can handle but so my question to you then is what can governments and private sector do how can they begin to collaborate um, to begin to turn the t tide towards you know universal access um, to healthcare and ensure that you know decades of progress are not lost due to the pandemic as you've highlighted that you know most of healthcare funding right now is being diverted to mitigating the effects of covid-19 what can governments and private sector begin to do to just to you know keep that in mind and make sure that we do not lose progress that we've made um, in the past i think i'll use three three things to respond to that question rather three major efforts um, that i'm currently a part of rather, or, or we we collaborate with uh, with my current team but i think before we get into that um, let's start by just finding a way how governments can help to close the knowledge capacity and the investment gap. I know they're always highlighted, but then there are specifics um, that, that could be initial points. So what I'd, I'd mentioned before, if governments can start to look uh, at a policy level, at, at a strategy level, at, at a resourcing, at their budgeting level, and even just what they prioritize to work with uh, the kind of partners that they work with, whether they're development partners, private sector partners, and a, and a really rapidly growing section of that private sector partners, entrepreneurs really, in healthcare. How can they work together to just uh, address those main categories of gaps that I had mentioned earlier? Um, now, to the three efforts that I've mentioned. So one, we do have, as Philips, uh, a commitment. So Philips, Royal Philips as a company has a commitment. Commitment that they've been very bold to declare publicly. And, and that commitment is a purpose to improve people's health and well-being through meaningful innovation. And, and uh, put a target to it, that, uh, that means that Philips aims to improve the lives of 2.5 billion people by the year 2030, including 400 million people living in underserved communities. So that 400 million people figure falls smack within, let's say, uh, what kind of challenges we have in Africa, because that's one of our key priority areas. And we've outlined three ways in terms of how we can work, whether it's with governments, uh, fellow uh, private sector players, or even uh, state actors and entrepreneurs as well. And, and how we look at it, we look at it uh, three prongs. So one, driving digital connectivity and technology innovation along the health continuum, because we look at health as a journey, not just a, as a disease-based engagement, but how a patient walks through the entire journey for healthcare, from home, within a facility, outside that care, uh, care facility as well, how can we be able to just work with different um, partners, including governments, to drive digital connectivity and innovation? The second piece is how can we develop new business models and financing solutions? And we have different examples that we've been working with, at least in, in Kenya, um, looking at uh, also other countries within Africa, to just come up with a bit more innovative business models. It's a harder nut to crack than, than would be imagined when you approach the, the, the a challenge the first time but we're trying to work on on what can we do from from the business modeling or even the health financing solutions to make access to care a bit more accessible and sustainable because a lot of our um, financing pieces at least in africa from my experience even before philips is that uh, it's either very government driven or or donor driven and, and especially for the second part that's not always sustainable so we need to look for something that uh that's a bit um owned by the patients and consumers on ground 
be able to actually just have that running. The third part of it in terms of what we're doing with us is building strong partnerships within an ecosystem of collaboration. Uh, we have a community we call the Digital Connection Player Coalition, which we invite different players uh, to, to work together and just and just collaborate. And, and together with this uh, DCCC is also working with fellow, uh, what do we call them, let's say collaborative platforms. And one of them is Transform Health. And we've been working there and, and just worked on a report recently. And I think I, I'll share with you that with, I'll share that with you and you all and you can share with the audience. They're just looking at what we can do very specifically to address these kinds of solutions. Um, then, of course, being engaged with the industry discussion, uh, what's happening in terms of the trends, and I think we can discuss that a bit more later. But just the idea is we need to partner with, with established um, organizations, with the state actors, and I say this even more authentically, with uh, social entrepreneurs Thanks, Beatrice. So, I mean, I hear you on, you know, um, and I wanted to pick up on your points about um, partnering with uh, with social entrepreneurs, right? Um, because that's going, I'm going to use that to pivot into, you know, what we're seeing actually arise um, on the continent in the past, I would say, a couple of years. And that's the boom and rise of the health, um, the health tech sector, right? So, um, within this, obviously, you know, you do have um, social entrepreneurs who are working um, to address, you know, this challenge, this global challenge that we have in terms of access to healthcare. And, um, you know, just in the in the last year or so, particularly, obviously, in, thanks in part to the COVID-19 pandemic, there increased, there have been a lot of increased opportunities in the health tech uh, health tech sector and this sector has been growing by 56.5% over the last three years. So you've done a lot of work, work a lot with entrepreneurs, volunteer capacity as an advisor, as a consultant with entrepreneurs and tech startups. What trends are you seeing in health tech on the continent? What are the biggest opportunities? What are the biggest challenges that you're seeing in this space? COVID-19 has changed the way we do a lot of things. We work, we learn, and we even interact. So there's, um, there's been quite a significant shift from face-to-face -face healthcare provision to a blended model. So there are aspects you really cannot speak online. If I need surgery, if I need an actual procedure, uh, we're still at the place I really do need to go into a hospital and get that care. Um, but then we see a growth of the online or telehealth. Um, virtual care, as it were, especially for conditions that do not require you to go all the way into a health facility or because of the restrictions that have been in place and they need to just keep that physical distance and you just cannot be at a healthcare facility in person. So one of the of, of the really of growing trends in healthcare and, and that's globally, but even more so for context is the need to have blended model in healthcare delivery. So a blended or a hybrid model that allows for offline interaction or face-to-face uh, 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 interaction as we traditionally know it and virtual care. So that means then it's driving uh, demand for telehealth, it's driving demand for solutions and, and digital platforms, the I see, that allows for task collaboration, especially between uh, practitioners that need to consult across geographies or across professions that they cannot do that face to face, or even uh, between practitioners and patients as well as the care uh, that's also an opportunity space in terms of having um, 
you know, artificial intelligence being uh, able to come in and fortify just basic meanings and, and working, of course, working with, with, with the practitioners to just strengthen how they do the care provision and the clinical decision support as well. So that's a really big, big, big part of the opportunity. Along uh, with that, is, is that view that healthcare is moving from just being a disease-based interaction with the general population being a bit more of a consumer um, service. So patients are a bit more concerned and aware and demanding that, you know, the, the customer service etiquette then be observed even more in healthcare provision, especially, you know, looking at it online and because you're still asking for them to be um, for these kinds of consultation, there's no face-to-face, let's say, um, interaction. So there's that need to just have some uh, customer engagement awareness a bit more in these kinds of interaction that we did before. The second piece for the opportunity is, is, is just an opportunity for business modeling and health financial innovation. So how you charge for healthcare, how patients pay for healthcare in light of that hybrid between offline and online that needs to change. But then also, um, apart from that population or rather part of the market, are even 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 uh, below that, are people who are feeling the pinch even more of not being able to have that face-to-face interaction. How can you strengthen that even, again, at the last time, you have um, models of financing that healthcare that work and promote access at that very last mile level. So, so those are opportunities to partner and work on. Then... Um, when you're looking at challenges, you know, the investment is a challenge. Investment in terms of uh, if you're looking at burgeoning digital health innovation need, um, infrastructure need, um, also, at the, you know, that requires more finance. That requires more human resources, not just uh, doctors or healthcare workers, as we knew before. I mean, if you're going to be delivering medicines home, we're looking at uh, the transportation mobility and how you just, uh, you know, your Uber model, for example, to just get those kinds of medicines to, to your patients, those are investments that you need to think of. And, and there's still a challenge in there. Um, how do you finance that? How do you expand that already, uh, let's say, la- largely constrained to, to, to allow for those kinds of innovations to come in? Then the second major challenge, if you're having so many digital health applications or so many digital health solutions coming up, then that can be seen as, as really heavy for the end user. It is a challenge for us to keep it simple, to avoid the silos such that we don't end up facing so many solutions in the same end user's hands and then complicating the situation further. And we need to think about how that works better. So keeping things simple, especially when you're looking at innovation and digital, it's not always that easy. So that's a challenge that we actually do need to address to see how in in the attempt to respond to the challenge, we don't make it more complex from an infrastructure level, from a tooling level, and from even, you know, an equipment level. That's very that's very interesting, um, Beatrice, that you talk about the potential challenge in complicating life basically for the for the end users. And I'd like to maybe dig a, a little bit more into that. So I mean, can you give me, you know, a bit of an example around what we could do to 
simplify so let's say for example you know there's an over i don't know there are too many digital tools or what are some of the ways that this idea of the last mile like what are some of the ways that we could maybe simplify ideas or things you know that you've heard to simplify the last mile basically uh, for the end users what are some of the what's happening in this in this area is there any there work being done in this particular area by organizations or you know thinking around it just to hear a little bit more about this idea indeed there's a lot of work happening there that's a good thing and that can be a challenge one of the things we do at least as part of the innovation process or 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 let's say uh, piloting applications of tools it could be solutions it could be tools it could be services whatever it is that you want to call it that happens when you're going through an innovative journey and uh, something that uh, is not new at least on the african continent is what we call a disease of pilotitis where you have a lot lot of pilots that don't scale or don't lease beyond let's say their funding cycle a lot of these pilots are also funded by by development partners uh, we have a bit more and more of them coming from let's say a traditional um, investment uh, sort of funding then we have a whole growing piece of impact investments as well so there's this funding to allow for this kind of innovation but my my cautionary let's say note is that we need to avoid unnecessary pilot just reduce the pilot pilot when i go to any specific context uh, especially now at country level in africa i will probably find whether it's government level whether it's at ngo level whether it's uh, entrepreneur uh, level or even established multinational like philips level there's going to be an effort to try and address it even at the last mile and and mostly just uh, for us is is just getting to see how do you work with the, the cadre of 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 healthcare um let's say resources called community health workers and we have quite a lot of efforts going on there and then can we can we merge efforts for example i think you can address it in two ways at a policy level at a governance level as government it is is being very um strict or rather firm in terms of directing how innovation is being done at that level at the last mile that we don't have too many um, efforts or rather too many dupl- duplicative efforts uh, for lack of a better word that are going on at that level can we merge work together not reinvent the wheel yeah and then not look just at uh, at the pilot level can we also look at the scaling level can we can we work more as stakeholders under the government leadership and guidance to scale what has worked because that's one thing can can reduce that complexity and and just look at how you scale it in terms of having more users come on on board uh take it to more geographical locations because i think this does help to simplify things over time instead of having different platforms or different um communities of networks dealing with the same kind of problem and then finally um just having tools that are simple let's not make it complicated governments have probably tried to either support or fund efforts that are already in place and we'll be able to just strengthen that and and build upon it or even if it's not governments have it sector other than nozo or, or or even players like philips for example have something that they're doing on the ground and that's why the, that ecosystem uh, partnership strategy that ecosystem mapping just to get to see who's doing what can we work together can we make it simple and we do not have to ha- you know to have a situation whereby there's too much duplication at the last mile 
That's great. That's that's really really good. Um, and I think it's you know that last bit that you talked about, right? It's, it's important to actually know who is doing what. Um, and you've made a valid point that probably there are gov- you know governments that have piloted some of these things. It'd be great to for for government for these social entrepreneurs, um, health tech entrepreneurs, multinationals to actually come together in in an ecosystem partnership approach to see what actually works and then to build on that and to scale. So in that way you reduce complexity for for the end users. And that makes that makes perfect sense. And then just a bit to kind of pull everything together. You know, you have your technology, you know, you know you have your tech hat. So how can technology help address access to healthcare issues in Africa. We've already begun we've we begun to tease out a bit of these a bit of these answers but really what are the ways or what's the biggest opportunity for technology to help address access to healthcare in Africa? We assume that technology will solve all the problems in healthcare. Assume it's a silver bullet to fix everything. It is not. Health systems strengthening having that lens in view looking at all those building blocks of a health system that delivers quality healthcare of course definitions exist that clearly outlined by the world health organization all those building blocks need to be placed they need to be moving you know things like medicines you're looking at supply chains you're looking at uh, um looking at how do you finance the situation that the human resource for health so all those pieces still need to be addressed and what tech does um it's it's been largely an enabler it will continue to be an enabler but it also moving a bit more and more into a driver position within this particular industry so it it does enabling generally then it can also be a tool for driving a lot of the progress but if we don't fix the health system gap we will still drive a crumbling system in that sense so that needs to be in place we always have that lens on even as celebs remembering that um we don't we don't play in a greenfield in that sense when you look at healthcare there are other plans there are other things to think about and 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 you need to work in tandem now how can health tech help i'd like to highlight three resources uh, i'd mentioned earlier i'll share them with you and maybe consider the links or or somehow uh, the listeners can access them that that has been very interesting to just look at as as, as some work that has come from the industry one is a uh, work that was done by the lancet and financial uh, times commission on governing health issues and they've defined some pretty interesting pieces so four key areas that they they feel that would be very useful and it applies quite a bit also for us in africa yeah they're looking at um, how to even start considering that digital technologies could be you know considered as an important determinant now before we've looked at socio economic factors and we start looking at digital and, and and the play it makes in those factors as well the second bit is uh, about governance that creates trust in digital health health will always be trust transaction at the end of the day so if we break that digital cannot fix it and especially in africa we are very community driven community oriented word of mouth is really important more than anything else i'm more likely to go see a doctor because uh, someone who's really close to me recommended that and my experience was good so how can digital be used to strengthen protect safeguard and also promote that trust is important the the report also highlights the need for a new approach to the collection and use of health data 
based on the concept of data solidarity. So issues of data justice and equity are really being just brought out as an issue to sort and, and how we use digital health to even just increase access to the marginalized, eh? to young people, maybe to people living with disabilities. Just wherever you go into a community, even in Africa, that a lot of people are not part of the healthcare discussion or provision or even the financing piece as well. Can we just have that data justice and tech promoting that? That's important as well. The other fourth bit they highlighted in this particular work was the need for decision makers to invest in enablers of digitally transformed health systems. And when you're talking about public health, when you're talking about UHC, that they just don't become concepts that stand alone, but what are the pieces of digital within there that are key parts of those definitions? So that's something the report was really um, highlighting as, as things we can look at. A second report I'd like to also recommend for you, as one that was uh, published during the recently concluded uh, Digital Health Week uh, by Transform Health Coalition, and it's the case for digital health accelerating progress to achieving universal you know, health coverage as well, you see, and, and they've outlined six action points in that report. And, and it touches on the different things that we've spoken about. Eh? So I'm not going into the details. So I really, really recommend that you have a look in there. I think the one part I've not mentioned in, in our chat so far is, is just that need to strengthen primary healthcare systems um, and empower communities, whether it's with knowledge or the tools or the data that they need, that we're not just picking data from the grassroots, but it, it's being used to inform decision-making by going back as, let's say, inf information or knowledge or insights at that level as well. And then finally, the third, the third piece of work that continues, and I'd alluded to it earlier, uh, is being done by Philips really, is a digital connected care coalition where Philips is actually a core uh, member and just getting to have that discussion going always at that level. So those are three things we're doing specifically to address this particular question. And then the, the, the different efforts in the industry the UN, uh, the AU, UNECA has really been strong in terms of getting to see how you strengthen capacity for innovation in healthcare. I know you have a lot within the, you know, the, the, the entrepreneurship and the impact investment space. The Philips Foundation, for example, which is a separate entity to Philips, uh, recently launched an impact investment fund, very specifically uh, looking at how to support social um, entrepreneurs working in healthcare. So that's something that's going on. Ashoka does the same work. You have even outfits like Philgro Africa and a sovereign advisory uh, board as well. So there's a lot going on. So from that part of the investment and also the part of the actual solution and innovation development, as well as tying into the, you know, the governance of the day from a government level or, or even, you know, just the development partners. It's really a collective effort to see how we drive and just leverage digital for healthcare generally. Thank you so much, Beatrice. This has been so fascinating um, and very, very interesting. Um, thank you so much for recommending these articles. We will surely share them um, with the listeners. We'll put them, we'll put the links when we uh, publish the podcast. But, you know, this has all been really, really fascinating. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thank you for sharing your passion um, about access to healthcare. There is so much work to be done but i'm also it's, it's also gratifying to also hear that so much work is already being done right um especially around the collaboration between 
private sector, between government and between the tech industry as well. You know, facilitating those uh, ecosystems that are necessary to strengthen our healthcare um, on the continent. So thank you so much. And we're really happy to have had you on the podcast. And I'm sure there's lots of conversations that we can, topics that we can dive deeper into. But thank you so much, Beatrice. Thank you so much, Daniela. And yeah, looking forward to, to continuing the conversation. If you do receive any questions, always feel free to just uh, challenge. Great, thank you.